And unlike Wilco and Yolatingo, they're not playing a fake band. They're the oh, December. Steve, we had a whole we had a whole bit on this. I, but the, the troubling world bring it building back. of bring Bonnie. it back. No, because <laughs> Neutral Milk Hotel. Here's the thing, you guys. We know that Neutral Milk Hotel also exists in that universe, so that's probably why the Decemberists exist, is because Neutral Milk <laughs> Hotel does. Oh, that could be. <laughs> because even in Pawnee, people are like, the Decemberists sound just like Neutral Milk Hotel. <laughs> like, they can't escape it. Here she comes. Hello, and welcome to We Both Podcast Together, The Hazards of Loving the Decemberists. I am Matt Esner. I am Pete Wissinger. And today we are joined by our first repeat guest, Mr. Steve Wissinger. Hello, Podcastlandia. It's probably not a great sign that after three guests, we're already repeating guests. Well, I assumed that the fans demanded that I return. That's why you invited me back. Right. That's exactly what happened. They can't yeah, get enough. Thirsty I also thing. probably yeah. don't know anyone else who's listened to Hazards of Love front to back more than twice, aside from you, me, and Matt. So. <laughs> 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 oh, boy. I was talking to my friend AJ about Hazards of Love, and I was like, yeah, it's not one that you just listen to a couple songs casually. He's like, no, it's like watching a movie. You got to like commit to sit down and doing it. It's definitely a CD I had in my car for a while. And every now and then I would kind of put it in just because like I'd listen to all the other ones. And it's like, oh, right. This one. Wow. This is a, No, it's because it's, I agree. It's a commitment. It's a commitment. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't work in pieces. No. I'm super excited about this, this album. Like, I've been looking forward to this. Is this like, your favorite Decemberist album? I think it might be, honestly. Fascinating. I mean, it I mean, is... You could call this the most self-indulgent album the band ever did. Oh yeah, you could you could call it that, <laughs> or you, but you could also call it the best album they've ever done. I was talking to my wife about about this album and about how a couple of things. One, it's like the last album of of the original, like of what you thought of what the Decemberists were. This is the last album that the last one with like character character narrative focus yeah um but it's also the first one where it was maybe Kramer was ambitious but this one was perhaps over ambitious where maybe hmm. and i i even like it but maybe the band bit off more than they could chew you're saying there is an element of hubris to this album i think a little bit i think this one is is cr- creaky like it's it's barely holding together well, let's uh, let's take a step back. Take a step back in time to the the year two thousand nine. Mm. Yeah. So our our last episode, we talked about the Always the Bridesmaid single series, which uh, I was listening to an interview with Con Malloy, and he talked about how his process for making an album is he usually just sits down and writes a bunch of songs, and when he has enough songs to make an album, then they make an album. Uh, but that when he was writing songs. And he ended up deciding the Hazards of Love was the direction to go. He had this collection of pop songs that he didn't know what to do with because they wouldn't go on the album. So at some point in that, you know, 2008, he decided that it was going to be this grand sweeping narrative album, which is where we end up here. Right. I remember back in the day reading an interview with Kamaloy where he talked about how he really admired 
what had come out in, you know, 2007 or something, Fiery Furnace's Blueberry Boat, where kind of every song is a narrative and is even like a multi-part narrative. Like every song is its own little rock opera. And he talked about how he really admired that they did that. And I can see the seeds of that then and him wanting to do something bigger. All right, Matt, take us back. You did all the research this time. Well, uh, so so January of 2009 is when, when the first single from this EP comes, or from this, this LP comes out. So the Rake song was released... Uh, was mid-January 2009. Do you guys remember hearing the Rake song before the album came out? Oh, yeah. So I actually remember hearing the Rake song at a Colin Malloy solo show in 2008. All right, all right. Um, where he had started to play bits from this album. Um, and it was really good solo. Um, and I remember when this single dropped before the album that Kanye West posted it on his blog and said, this is dope. Yes. I think that maybe says something psychologically about Kanye West. <laughs> were you, f- were you just like a ardent follower of Kanye's blog in two thousand nine? No, but like Kanye tweeting about the Decemberist is something that shows definitely up on- hit like Pitchfork. Wait, was it a tweet or was it a blog? Now you're, I think you're just all over the map here. He had a blog, but it's not like he was like a blog where he wrote coherent posts. It was just like sort of like a Tumblr, I think. So, Steve, do you remember this song coming out? I do. I mean, this was back in the day where probably you probably saw that Kanye thing when you were on the Decemberist message board back in. The I day. have mentioned I, many times that yeah, I was a regular. On you sure were. I mean, December's I was a, I was more of a board. lurker, but um, yeah, I remember. I mean, I remember being very amped about the song, being fresh from the Crane Wife, um, and being excited about the direction they were going, and even hearing about that it was going to be this kind of fantasy sort of rock opera narrative sounded like exactly both what I would what I would always hope the Decemberists would, would do. Um, I mean, I don't remember, I remember the song coming out first. I don't remember my, re- my initial reaction to it. Um, well, I think it's one of the songs that stands on its own better than some of the others. Possibly, like it's not super tied to the narrative. It is possibly the song that stands alone by itself. I think it's certainly the one that gets played the most at Decemberist concerts. Like I feel like they'll still play that one. Yeah. They'll, they'll pull this one out a lot uh i remember not particularly being into this song because i mean like i mean it's fine but there's just not a lot to it there like is not. instrumentally or like i mean lyrically it's pretty dark like it's you know i think we talked about it on the last episode but it's it's in the same like level of darkness as, as say like a uh, culling on the fold mm-hmm. or i don't know maybe a cautionary song Shank Hill. Well, I mean, a little bit but some- yeah it's like really Really dark, really bleak. But it's also, I think, it's, this one is more tongue-in-cheek than much of the rest of the album, which yeah. is actually takes this album, in some ways, I think one of its flaws is it takes itself, like, too seriously. Um, I think that started with The Crane Wife. That's fair. I think that's Crane fair. Wife as an album takes itself very seriously. That's fair. That's fair. I'm going to posit that most rock operas take themselves too seriously <laughs> and that's why well so i actually you need listened to, to an interviewer colin malloy said that opera. he sees this as more of a folk opera than a rock opera because steve you're our british folk expert but there's the dna of british folk all over colin malloy's work sure i mean um you know i i credit colin malloy with like getting me into a lot of things he's someone who i trust for like cultural uh recommendations i've read a lot of books that he liked and things like that but certainly he's responsible for getting me into british folk music and here we have 
I mean, so even the names of the characters, the only characters with names are our lovers, William and Margaret, which for a fantasy epic are two like super generic names, right? But the names William and Margaret pop up all over the place in British folk music. Even specifically, there's a uh, British folk song called Clyde Water. Nick Jones in his album uh, Penguin Eggs recorded under the title The Drowned Lovers about a young man named William and his love, Margaret. And he wants to go and, and uh, you know, woo her and the antagonists in the story are the two mothers who want to get in the way uh and wind up cursing them and making them drown uh in a river called clyde water not even you know the river clyde clyde water uh wow steve's like fucking deep throat on this right he's like (laughs) exposing the conspiracy basically (laughs) this whole album is is one song (laughs) it it, it is in a way it is kind of interesting it is almost like clyde water does in like a song what this album accomplishes throughout the course of an album now there's fewer characters and there's no fantastical elements at all but um so yeah so this whole that like william and margaret your your sort of lovers the sort of mother antagonists uh even the whole like drowned lovers theme are, are very much stock British folk ideas. Though interestingly, this album, I think if we're talking overall, clearly has several interests. One of them is certainly British folk, and he's trying to do this kind of uh, Fairport Convention style sort of psychedelic folk thing. But this album is also clearly them really running with their little metal thing that they were into. Yeah, prog prog rock, prog rock that like began with the Tane, and you can hear it in things like. Um, the island uh the island and also and when the war came right uh and even when colin malloy even colin malloy when he speaking of colin malloy and british folk when he wrote when he recorded colin malloy sings shirley collins he turns one of her songs into this like stompy metal number um so he's really into i guess the overlap there is when we're thinking about a band like iron maiden or black sabbath who do some similar narrative things well, so he described this album as mossy and evil in a similar way to, like, Black Sabbath. Sure. But uh, would you be surprised to find out, Steve, that this album is named after an Anne Briggs EP? I would, I would not be surprised because I, cause I happen to know that. But Oh, well, okay, look at that. Well, no, only Can't no, stop I, Steve no, on British no, no, folk no, no, music. No, 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 not because I know Anne Briggs, <laughs> but because I know that's from my Decemberist fandom that I know that, not from my oh, okay. British wait, folk. Wait, so... So the album is named after someone else's album? Yeah. So Anne Briggs had an EP called The Hazards of Love, but not a song called The Hazards of Love. So Colin Malloy decided he was going to write a song called Hazards of Love because he liked the name of that EP. And then that turned into all of this. Okay. That's like, I have this really cool idea for a book called The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a Wizard of Oz. Like, what is this? This, this episode is... You're, you guys are you guys are kind of turning me against one of my favorite albums. <laughs> oh, I don't mind. I don't mind that. One of the things I like about Kamala is how much he wears his influences on his sleeves. Um, that he doesn't mind being an abashed nerd of a variety of things, not just your, your typical nerdy things. Uh, in the interview I was listening to, he talked about how Margaret is one of these so, one of these uh, three syllable female names that comes up all the time in music because it sounds good. And he also included Annabelle and Caroline, which are other names he has used in Decemberist songs. This is, yeah. this is the only song of the, in the catalog that utilizes the name Mafanwi, though. So, yeah, which that's is a, fair. A weird Welsh name. Do you guys get any other research on sort of the background of this album? Uh, according to something I read, you know, apparently he considered it for like a stage piece, but you know, decided pretty early on that it wouldn't work 
dramatically on stage, which I think is probably wise. They did get very theatrical with it when they toured with this album, though, which I think we all were at that show. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, that was a standout December show. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's one of the things that, that redeemed the album for me, because it's an album that I think by the time I saw them live, I was already kind of tired of listening to, because it's kind of hard to listen to. Uh, and so I was excited that for the second half of the show, where they were going to play old Decemberist stuff, but definitely the highlight was Hazards of Love all, all together. It was great. I mean, super good. They, they did some like very light acting with it. Um, just See, to kind of... I don't remember of, that I don't think there don't was much. Acting. I mean, there was like... Well, just, I remember... There was a lot more stagecraft, I think. Like, I, I feel like they were... There were, like, trees out. and... Yeah. We should maybe talk... You know, this was released on Capitol Records, uh, Light Crane Wife. Uh, they seem determined to show that they are not selling out by being on a major label. Uh, it's produced by Tucker Martin, who was also the co-producer on The Crane Wife. Uh, maybe we should talk about that there are quite a few guest musicians yeah. on this. So you've got the the base five members of the band, um, but who do you guys know of as guest musicians on this? Uh, well, the two big ones, the two uh, female uh, guest vocalists, you have uh, Shara Warden, who is now Shara Nova. Uh, oh, really? Since yeah, she's since uh, I think she divorced her husband, so has mm. reverted to her maiden name or something. But I mean, that's anyway, a cooler so name. It's way cooler. It's, Shara Nova is a cool name. Uh, I would have gone with that from the beginning, but she's uh, she plays the queen, uh, and then and we her... should say that her solo cr- uh, credit is "My Brightest Diamond," right? Which I also saw her in Sufjan Stevens' backing band. Yes, right. Yeah, so she she was with Sufjan for the Illinois sessions, mm-hmm. and I think also Age of Ads. And she opened for him uh, as "My Brightest Diamond" in the tour he did following Illinois, like sort of with the avalanche. Is that the the wings yeah 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 that was a good show it's an amazing show and she's an amazing opener and my wife said that she opened for the decemberists in this show as well i didn't remember that did she i don't remember either Mm. that would be a lot because (laughs) she's also all over that decemberist set i mean she's a highlight she's a highlight of this album um i remember even she did some of the like the sort of televised performances um they were clearly showing off how awesome she is yeah. a vocalist. And who's our other guest vocalist here? Uh, Becky Stark of Lavender Diamond fame. Yeah. Not as big of a name as Shara Warden. She has a lovely voice. It's like, nice. Yeah. Right. So do you guys remember at that live show, since those two were there, what cover the band did? I believe they did Crazy on You by Heart. Yeah. With that, like dueling female vocalists. That was a... That was... That was actually probably the best part of that show. So there's two other guest musicians on this that are bigger names that I did not know until looking at research for this album were on this. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, there's a there's a instrumental uh, guest appearance by Robin Hitchcock. Which well, is I- kind of crazy to bring him on just to play electric guitar on one song. Yeah. For sure, I'm, I'm not like a I'm not a big Robin Hitchcock guy. I don't really know a lot about uh, him. He's amazing. He's great. He's <laughs> someone who I mostly know about because because Colin Malloy is a big fan. So, I mean, it's he actually trivia officiated Colin Malloy's wedding. How about that? What? Yeah. Okay, Steve, why aren't you That's hosting this podcast? <laughs> I just come uh, in to drop the bombs. <laughs> so, and the other one is of course my morning jacket frontman Jim James which I cannot place on this album where he is doing backing vocals. And he's got a very distinctive voice. 
Is he doing backing vocals or is he is he playing? I think he does vocals. All of the all of the male uh, vocals in this are by Malloy. At least all the front vocals, which is weird that Colin is playing multiple roles. Like you would think you could have if you're going to bring in Jim James, have him play one of the characters. I do think it's a yeah. I, mean, I actually think that's a key weakness of this album. Um, when I get because it, it's a December album and he wrote the songs and who wants to sing all the songs. But a year after this comes out, we get an album by Aeneas Mitchell called Hadestown, uh, which now is a musical and won the Tony Award for Best Musical. But initially it was just an Aeneas Mitchell album, and it's the retelling of story of Orpheus and Eurydice. It's another folk opera, actually. Uh, and she plays Eurydice, but she casts other people. So Justin Vernon of, of uh, Boney Vare plays Orpheus. You have um, Anita Franco playing um, uh, Persephone. So... She is able to cast other people in roles, and it makes it feel a little bit more dramatic than having Colin Malloy play narrator and good guy and bad guy. So you're saying if Colin Malloy was just narrator and it brought in two guest male vocals for William and the Rake, Even it would have been... Even if he was narrator and William, I think someone else should have been the Rake. I guess. I, don't, I mean, like, I, I, I think that's a fair criticism. Like, that, that is something, like, why, why, do, why not bring in someone else for it? But also, I think, is what makes it still feel like an album. Right. Sure. And not a play. And not a play. Yeah. That's fair. Steve, are you saying you think Hades Town is better than Hazards of Love? Mm. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to get into it. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, hey, I mean, Hades Town as an album is maybe more re-listen-to-able than Hazards of Love. It's got more, well, it's got more, I think, range sort of in terms of tone and instrumentation. Here's a question. Do you guys think someone could turn this into a stage show? I'm sure so many freshman drama students <laughs> have at, done it. I'm sure it's at liberal arts schools in small towns all over the country. I mean, the first it. half of the show is just like two people have sex a couple of times. It's like the whole first yeah. half. And if you're, if you're a freshman drama student. <laughs> that's fair. Like, I have this great idea. Yeah. It's a great idea for a play, guys. They probably did this at James Franco's acting school, right? <laughs> Roasted. That was uh, topical a while ago. I don't know. It's still good. It still holds up. You guys, in February of 2012, the Players Theater in Montreal, Canada, made The Hazards of Love a folk opera with dialogue in between songs. So sure. we have yeah. to watch that on YouTube now. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's there's apparently a film companion piece to this. Hmm. Um, I think it's called The Wanting Comes in Ways. And it was only, like, performed at, like, a couple, like, I don't know, like, art galleries or something. But it's, it's like, I think a sort of anthology film that is, I think it's four different directors, each segment to sort of coincide right. with this. I read about album. this, but apparently, like, the visuals are, like, abstract. It's not like a... Yeah, that makes sense. But here's the thing, unlike the Tane, this very uh literally tells a story. Yeah, I mean I think it's it's definitely a lot easier to follow. It's not than, difficult to follow. Than, than even than even like uh even the island, I feel like this is less metaphorical and more straightforward. Oh, this is more we're at Mariner's Revenge song levels of sort of <laughs> right. linear yeah. narrative yeah, just like, with this album. Yeah. This is what is I mean, happening. It probably has more in common with that than any of the other narrative Decemberist songs. I I don't mind it honestly. I don't I don't mind having to work that hard, or not having to work for understanding the the 
story. I mean, I feel like you're you're already asking a lot of me to listen to a <laughs> you know, a prog rock opera. So like, how long is this album as a whole? Do you have like forty seven minutes? It's maybe? not that. Long. I don't know. It's not. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 pretty easy to throw down in one. So thing. should we sort of lay out a rough rundown of the narrative, or do it as we go? Let's just go through it. I, I mean, you know, it, it sort of unfolds. Yeah. Okay. So let's. Uh, yeah, let's so it hit opens it. with a prelude, um, which is just kind of like a a building, slowly building organ. Yeah. I the the thing about the song is it's every time I, you know, start it. I have to make sure that my speakers are working. Yeah. Did I actually <laughs> it starts hit, very low. Did I hit play or no? It's a lot of Ginny organ stuff going on. Which is not ever a bad thing. And uh, no. it definitely is like it hints at the wanting comes in waves melody. If you, yeah. the, as far as what the music is sort of previewing. Um, so do you guys know where this, this story takes place? Do you have a guess? A taiga? A taiga, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, in, right. it's in the summertime. Could you be more specific? It's in the summer. Okay, yep. Not a place, but... All right, setting, why don't you tell setting. us, Mr. Smarty Pants? <laughs> well, no, I'm just saying, do you, did you ever, like, did you have a, like, sort of geographical idea? Well, it talks, I about, would uh, say idea. It talks England. about... It talks about Alpha's Wall, who I believe was a Spanish king. Right. But also, it talks about Anne and Water, and, and the Anne and River is in Scotland. Hmm. So... I mean, congratulations, I, Matt. I think I think the the anglicized names like t- sort of make it seem like it's probably more Scottish or in that realm. But uh, yeah, I don't know for whatever reason. For the longest time, I thought it took place oh, in Canada. Okay, it's definitely why. in Scotland. Arthur's Wall. So uh, that's that's part of the uh, the border between England and Wales. Arthur's Dyke. Gotcha. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, you got this moody prelude. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's instrumental. So that, I mean, there's you're you're getting no information from this other than sort of mood. Um, and what mood do you guys? What, what do you guys feel when you're hearing this? Uh, you know, it's it's got a sort of a foreboding, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, foreboding kind of tone to Vaguely it. Vaguely spooky. And then we run into the first of four songs titled "Hazards of Love." The first one, the prettiest whistles won't wrestle the thistles undone. It's quite a Colin Malloy lyric. It's very Colin Malloy. Uh, I, I dig it. I love this opening track. I like, this is one, if we're like, talking about Colin Malloy's British folk uh, inspirations, this this song feels very pentangle. It's yeah, got I would this, agree with that. It's got this kind of, um, this clear English folk sort of rhythm, but there's a, there's a jazzy guitar under it that's very Burt Jantz. Especially towards the end of the song, we get that kind of jazz. These references guitar. are all landing with you, aren't they, Matt? Right. Was he on the Colgate Hour? <laughs> <laughs> I get that reference. Anyway, so uh, what kind of story is laid out here in Hazards of Love One? So we meet. Uh, well, so I think William William is the narrator. No, of the song, this is narrated by first voice. So this is clearly something Kamaloy has picked this up. From, a detached narrator. Detach, even though they say "my true love," which is strange. Well, yeah, that's the thing. That's why I thought it was William it's narrating. Very strange. Um, but then, but then he would refer to himself in third person, where he says the beast began to change. 
Um, so here's the thing. Gollum gets this first voice, second voice thing from something that you all probably talked about with Her Majesty, which is uh, Dylan Thomas's Under Milkwood, which is a play for voices where the narrators are first and second voice. Also a character named Mafanwi in that play for voices. Wow, um, Steve's just making us realize how okay. unoriginal Gollum Malloy is. We did talk about that, though. I'm remembering yeah, that. Yeah, that because of uh, Billy Lyre. I mean, not the Mufanwi. Mufanwi. Yeah, so Mufanwi Price is in... So, yeah, so clearly this is something... So this idea of narrator... And again, the kind of kind of meaningless distinction between first voice and second voice as well is is something he's pulling yeah. from uh, Under Milkwood. Like Greek tragedy, right? Yeah, a little bit. So, okay, so this woman, Margaret, comes upon an injured fawn... And, uh, and it's an F-A-W-N, right? Not an F-A-U-N. Right. Like a deer. So, Right. So she helps the fawn, and then, like, everything starts shifting, and the fawn starts to transform, right? That's where we end up? And they bang. Well, Do yeah. they bang in this song? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. She's Margaret heaves a sigh, song. her yeah. hands clasped to her thigh. Wow, yeah. Yeah, no, they, they bone down. No, this is late, because this is later on. She's back home with 15 lissom maidens laying alone in their bower. Uh, 14, yeah. f- 14 of them are, are passing the idle, power, out, idle hour with occupations, but Margaret is heaving a sigh and clasping her thigh. So she's thinking about the sexy time she had with the fawn. So this feels very like Greek mythology to me, right? This whole Yeah, like, for anime. sure. Except those are never consensual sexual acts normally yeah uh, it, it seems like in, in this story like you know weirdly the main well the f- main female character seems to have some agency which is unusual for a december i mean she starts yeah. out that way by right. the end she's helplessly being tied to yeah. the train tracks by snidely whiplash or whatever yeah but, it doesn't end well for her but but yeah at least uh, at this point she is she's just out there looking for a hot meal and, and she finds the, uh, the fawn turns into a dude, dude and she's like yeah let's go for let's it yeah. Like, yeah i mean yeah. of course yeah wouldn't that be your first like you see a sexy fawn yeah you're like man i wish boy. that was a person i just wish and it was. Then, oh and then no this is following <laughs> yeah. the we, this is following another like shape-shifting animal romantic relationship that's that, true i yeah i mean i think Ever, everyone can agree. There's so you're saying this is adjacent to adjacent people. to furry stuff. I mean, no, because if if it well, I mean, I guess it's, it's adjacent. It's in the neighborhood, it's furry adjacent. But I mean, she would have sex with them as a fawn if, <laughs> if it was like true furry stuff. Uh, speaking of furries, my my board game group has a whole running gag that uh, furries were created by Disney's Robin Hood. Well, yeah, that's not a gag. That's just a fact. <laughs> yeah, I read that yeah. history book. Because cause Robin is hot. It's not Maid Marian. Robin is hot. Right. Yeah, Maid Marian's gross. Anyway, yeah. I do like this album. Or this song. <laughs> I like this song a lot. This is, this is probably... I always Steve doesn't uh, want to talk about furries I always anymore. lean towards the <laughs> folkier stuff. This is one of the folkier songs on the album. It's um, true. Yeah. I was surprised listening to it. It's so slow. Some of the songs in this album are very slow. Well, let's move to the next song, which is not slow. Uh, it's called A Bower Scene. You guys want to hear something weird and um, th- there's a there's a list that i keep referencing on this podcast of colin malloy saying what he thinks the best song on each album is this is his pick on hazards i think his idea was that like 
this was the song that made him feel like he was kind of getting away with something that like he wasn't sure if this whole ambitious thing would click and that he felt like if the, since this song as like a, a big shift worked as a transition that like the album was working. I think it does. And I think it does. I think this, I think this is a good sort of bridge, you know, transition yeah. and it's got a cool, it's got this cool, like driving guitar. Yeah. That crunchy kind of sludge guitar. Mm-hmm. Can you guys tell me what's going on in this song? So Margaret is uh, noticeably pregnant, yeah. at least to her, to her. She's friends. getting like slut shamed by her sisters. Right. It's, <laughs> it's clear to them that she is not, or she is, she is with child. And they want to know who the father is, I think. And she's showing as well. So what I think is interesting that I forget every time I sort of visualize this album is that she is like visibly pregnant for the rest of this album. I mean, I don't know if she's visibly pregnant, but they, so my, my interpretation is they know she's pregnant because the, the line, she hasn't troubled the water at the cistern, which makes me think that like she's, she's late. Like she hasn't, you know, she missed her period. So like they know that's, that's my, that's my interpretation. So then narratively, since she's getting sort of harassed, she retreats to the taiga to try and find William. Yeah. I don't think it's cause she's getting harassed. I think it's just cause she's like, Oh shit. Well, I'm pregnant now. So gotta go find that baby daddy. Yeah. Gotta go find the baby daddy. I, I like though that like, I feel like it's very rare that we get any stories about like, um, pregnant women having like sexual appetites, which I think is like, it's like relatively yeah. progressive. Yeah. It's, it's really weird for a Decemberist album. Again, yeah. just like not, not normal. Wait, are you guys saying this is the wokest Decemberist album? No. So far. No, it gets decidedly <laughs> not that by the end. But this, yeah, this is a really short track. Not a lot there, but it's a cool, it's, it's a cool, like, you know, driving song. Well, and what we and could it, maybe talk about is that this song like the previous song introduces some musical motifs that get brought back over and over right. again. And like, it really is set up like a, a play in that way that like there's certain music cues that are, that are referenced throughout the, the rock opera. And a, a possible criticism is that there are maybe too many of them for so short a piece. You're saying it's, it's very short to be using the same things so often. I mean, there's like four different, at least repeated sort of melodies it makes it feel a little bit like it's sort of stretched thin, both musically and narratively. That's kind of those suggesting characters coming or, or, or it suggests action in a purely audio form. Sure. Right? It's like, something that like Howard, it's something that film composers do, you know? Right. So what is after a Bauer scene? So this is uh, Margaret's first song. We first time we hear Becky Stark, this is Won't Want for Love, also known as Margaret in the Taiga. And this is where this is the this is the song that gets the stomp, the boom. I don't know about you guys, but this is a this is a standout song on the album for me. Yeah, man. For sure. This is one of the better songs on the album. Like I think that this is one of the songs that could stand on its own. Yeah, I would agree. Without Um, the rest of the album. Well, this is one if you're talking about things that they played after Hazard's Love. This is song is the most memorable thing about the song for me is the the uh, King is Dead tour. They tour with Sarah Watkins. Um, who was definitely oh, yeah. overqualified to tour and be a backup singer for the Decemberists. Um, 
but she they have her sing this song and she does it with this growl and edge that Becky Stark does not have in her and totally changes the character of the song and makes it um, really interesting. Uh, Well, the song is really gruff and edgy, but her vocals are so like meek. Yes. Yeah. She's kind of airy and, and you know, I mean, like I think, I think it works in the context of the album, but I, I agree. I think I prefer Sarah Watkins version of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The imagery is great. There's like, the there's a, a mixture of like sort of sort of prenatal like pregnancy imagery uh, along with this um this nature imagery the missile thrush and the underbrush and the willow boughs um so i like a lot of the wordplay and the imagery in addition to liking the uh i think this is one, i think this is one of the better sort of simplest metal songs this is about as, about as yeah good this is this song is awesome i like the refrain a lot too right yeah uh, the lyrics on the refrain are good the melody's good You've got the like William, sort of wayfishly calling in, uh, yeah, which gets called back later. Mm-hmm. Again, and the, that refrain is about like, yeah, I'm pregnant, but like, I have needs, <laughs> right? <laughs> which is again something you don't get in a lot of fiction. Guys, is this the is this the horniest Decemberist album? This uh, the first be saying something for the Decemberists. I think I think it is. I mean, like the whole first half is just these two people wanting to bang banging wanting to bang again and yeah but this song just rocks this is a head a, banger like it, it's a good song yeah i'm a fan pete do you know what a taiga is uh i mean i know it's like a, a geographical feature right it's a word uh, i remember like i remember learning biology. it in geography yeah. but that's you're saying you're saying what makes something a taiga yeah, I mean, it's it's basically like a it's like the sort of coniferous forest, but it's like basically the like the middle third of the northern hemisphere is all. Yeah, time. like I'm associating it with like it's like a tundra with trees. Right. Yeah. For me, so far on the album, this is the first one that really like hits you in the face. Uh, and then I think I I feel like it goes into another pretty good song. No. Of the songs named Hazards of Love, this is my least favorite. Hazards of Love, in parentheses, wager all. So, Steve, is this song your least favorite because it has those cheesy wind chimes? I mean, it doesn't help. (laughs) Uh, Matt, what's your opinion on cheesy wind chimes? I'm okay with wind chimes if they're deployed correctly. Do you guys think that that Jenny's playing these wind chimes live? I think Becky Stark played them live. Mm, that's like her only instrument is yeah, the wind I chimes. Think, I think so. I like to imagine Chris Funk playing the wind chimes. I mean, he do he has a delicate hand. Yeah, you just like you just like picturing Chris Funk doing anything. Uh, yeah, I think you spend a lot of time imagining Chris Funk just making pancakes <laughs> or. But in all of my images, he's still dressed as the tamarack. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Hey man, whatever floats your boat. Um, I think this like here, th- it's not like a bad song. This is like a just like a it's a pop song. It's like a a, a pop love song. It's yeah. it's a little cheesy. Yeah. It's yeah. I would agree. I'm here for it. I'm I'm here for the cheese. Yeah. Um. So like narratively, what's going on here? Is this like them just cuddling? Is that basically what we got here? This is yeah, foreplay. It's, it's it's uh. Oh, I'm thinking I it's mean, post play. No, 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 no. no. no it's it not. ends with I'll lay you down in clover bed, the stars yeah, roof above. I think like right. So the last song was like Margaret being like, Hey, William, where you at? Let's bone. <laughs> and then they probably bone. And then this song is like William like, Hey man, 
I'm really into you. Let's There's bone. one they bone as an instrumental where someone's like watching them. Right. Yeah. So like, is this the song where they like kind of profess their love for each other? Is that like we've developed the relationship at this point? I guess. I think it's so like narratively, like if this were a play, right? If this were a play, this would be preceded by the scene where they like tell each other they love each other. Sure. I'm curious what that. I think it's also the second time they've ever met. Yeah, it's. I'm interested in what that first interaction was like. Like here we have dialogue between them that almost sounds like they've met meeting for the first time, but like he already got her pregnant, and now they're getting like the oh, I'm in love with you. Well, I mean, they had a one night stand. Neither of them were in their right mind, but now it's like, oh no, like it's all good. Like I, we love each other. Yeah. 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 Do you guys think, I mean, you know, I don't think there's a lot in the text to, uh, to tell us, but do you think William has any other sort of magical abilities other than being able to turn into a fawn? He can talk to a river later on. I mean, I think he's probably pretty great in the sack. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He, gets, he has magical, fish, his, supernatural his, his, Supernatural. His boys can swim, apparently. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. One and done. I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah. I, I, that's a great question, Matt. I, have you done any thinking into William's full magical... Like, well, that's the thing. Here's the thing. Is he a mythical creature, or is he a mage? No. She, no. His, his mom gave him the form of a fawn to inhabit by day. Guys, did you listen to the rest of this album? But is that a gift? He's got a magic is mom. Is that a gift? Yeah, he's got but a like, magic mom. But, like, if you get to be a fawn during the day, is that a bonus, or is that a curse? Well, all right, so it's going to come up later, but I think <laughs> William might have been dead. He was close when, to death, at least. Yeah, when his when his when the queen finds him. So we're gonna meet the queen a little bit. Let's go ahead and talk about the. Queen. Let's meet Let's the queen. The way. Next track, what's it called, Matt? The Queen's Approach. So in this track, it sort of announces the queen's existence, but it's really just like a, a short, like it's a thirty-second interlude. This gives Cher Warden some... a chance to like step out in front of the stage. Right. I actually like this intermission right. because it's it's a really cool banjo moment on the album. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. It's creepy banjo music, but not like like creepy in sort of a deliverance way, creepy in a ooh. Well, spooky. I think the implication here is she comes on and watch and watches them have sex, right? Isn't that what's yeah, going yeah. on right here? Exactly. Because there's another song of them having sex after this song. Are you guys getting some uh Midsummer Night's Dream vibes from this? Mm, it's less comedic. Yeah, but like you've got this sort of like I don't I don't know for me I, I'm th- kind of thinking like your queen Titania, is a sure yeah and um, just like supernatural love in the forest she's like, a Titania like figure I would agree yeah I'm, I'm I'm thinking this is at least influenced by that kind of thing uh, so all we all we've been told now is the queen is watching what happens next when this next song it has already happened what's the next song. Isn't it a lovely night? And here they've already, they've already made their little bed. They died their little deaths already. So this is this is the post post coital. This is the post coital. This is the cuddle song. Yeah. This is also the only song in the album I don't like. Yeah, I mean, this song, I get what it's trying to do narratively. Like, it's kind of setting you up for, like, 
your only moment of, ah, this is nice before everything goes to shit. Yeah. Um, but it is so corny. It's very throwaway. I just, I just do not like it. I mean, I will say, like, I think that it works. It, it serves a function, right, in the whole narrative. But, like, standing on its own, it's probably one of the weaker tracks. Well, yeah. I mean, speaking of this album possibly not working cut up this is a song that definitely you hear it in isolation you're like who are these yahoos yeah like, this is yeah like for sure what child wrote this song yeah so are, are they are they laying here thinking about the fact that she's pregnant sweet little baby yeah uh yeah i mean i think this is this is sort of where like they're like you know agreeing that uh william's maybe gonna step up and be a father to this child. sure yeah he's not gonna be a deadbeat yeah yeah i mean yeah this this album it's got some, you know, stand-up characters. So I want to say when I saw Colin live, he played this and then Rake's song. Hmm. So I think it was set up in a way that, like, the lovers have a nice evening and then enters the villain. I wonder if this song is better without, like, you know, the sort of hokey... Like, the pedal steel's a little much, you know, the accordion's a little much, but maybe... Well, like Becky if it's Stark's, solo acoustic, Honestly, Becky Stark's vocals are a little much. Yeah, so maybe it's better with just Colin? I don't know. I mean, it's just there's I not much to it. it. Right. You know, like it's pretty simple. Any other thoughts on isn't it a love? I mean, what do you guys think of the instrumentation? Like you got some pedal steel, you got some accordion. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just repeating the melody that they're singing. It's not a particularly complicated song. It's a simple song. Yeah. But then we get the we get the banger afterwards. Which is? Well, we have two characters singing each other. We have Wanting Comes in Waves, smashed with Repaid. Which is the first song where we really get to hear William speak with his mother and where Shara Nova now uh, unleashes. This is a highlight song. Well, how about this, actually? Shara Warden's parts are a highlight. Yes. she Her performance in this album stands out in general. The, the wanting comes in waves section I'm less interested in or impressed by. Um, but the repaid stuff is amazing. The one thing comes in waves is gonna it's gonna come back. Right. That's, I mean, it's important to establish it at this point. But yeah, but compared to repaid, it's not as good. But narratively, this is this is sort of a very important expository kind of. So the wanting comes in waves part is is William talking about his mother, right? right. And it says here, "You delivered me from danger, tore me from my cradle." swore to save me from the world of men. So did she steal him as a baby? He was probably abandoned. I don't know if he was sick or if he was just abandoned because she says something about like saving him from, you know, cancer, the cancers. And, but I don't know if that's just being like sort of metaphorical, the cancer of being like a human, but she definitely like imbibes or imbues him with sort of magical gifts, which may or may not translate to, in so the sack. One thing I'll say about having the two female vocalists do the two characters is that their vocal performances very much do suggest character. Mm-hmm. Like um, Becky Starks, Margaret is this sort of like 
listless wayfish nice girl and Sharon Nova's queen is this like powerful emotional um character so you're saying no one was there to give Colin direction be like hey Colin maybe <laughs> maybe this one no he's like I got it I got it I got it he's, he's gonna be just like an indie rock singer no okay well maybe it's like little Mel Miranda casting himself in Hamilton yeah. It's like, hey, maybe. maybe maybe someone else would do a better job at this part. Maybe. So she, Sarah Warden, just tears it up on this song. Yeah, she does. I remember them doing this on, like, Colbert or something, maybe. Yeah. And she, like, stomps around the stage oh. during this song. Yeah, she got this crazy dance move. She's moving her arms. Yeah. She, yeah. yeah. She, she, I also remember her being tiny. I don't know if she that's is, she is short. Yeah. From where I was like sitting, but yeah, I remember her being like half the size of Colin Malloy. I don't know if that's true, but clearly like a, like a classically trained vocalist. Like her whole vocal style is kind of one of the things interesting is it's kind of like not a rock vocal style. It's almost more operatic. Yeah. She has a lot of like vibrato, but not in like a Christina Aguilera kind of So, way. like, what, what is she pissed that William has a girl? Yes. Just yeah, like a jealous so. mother? Yes. Which is a stock British folk figure. It's like a reverse Oedipus complex? She's, no, she's like, I deliberately took you from the world of men so you wouldn't have to deal with the bullshit of being a human. And then you're just, you're just, you know, boning your way back into the So that it's world. like Jungle Book. Well, she's like, a, she's like a mom who's pissed her son got some girl knocked up, right? Like, yeah, she's probably mad about that too. And they make a deal in the song. That all these guys do is, job. I'm just going to enjoy this night, and then I'm back to being your little, whatever it is he does for her. She's going to yeah. reclaim him in the morning. And so, like, William is a Romeo-type character. Very much so. He's this, he's this like, tragic lover-type character. It is his one character trait. <laughs> the tragic figure. I mean, this, this, play, this, this, this piece works in types, not characters, right? So I'm not even necessarily saying it's a bad thing. Like, his thing, his character has one thing. His thing is he's a lover. Do you think William intends to keep his promise to his mother? I don't think William thinks past tonight. Yeah. Yeah, he, he does seem sort of short-sighted. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what he thinks he's going to accomplish. And, like, I mean, is he, like, just going to, you know hook up one more time and then come back and he's, he's just that afraid of his mother or yeah like he makes he just, a deal that's like let me have a nice night and then i will basically be your slave for the rest of my life yeah, yeah. so not a not a great move on william's part here's a question if someone saves you as a baby do you owe them the rest of your life uh, according to the queen the answer would be yes yeah like that's not fair well life's not fair I'm not thinking this queen is a very just queen. Whoa. What is she the queen? Is she like the queen of the forest? Uh, the taiga, I'm imagining, yeah. Queen of the taiga. But like she is like, is she a demigod or is she a witch? Or like, what is her deal? I feel like she's, yeah, she's pretty powerful. I got more she's like, like some sort of... I got more like goddess, fairy queen kind of yeah. Like a fairy queen. Yeah. yeah. So like Titania. Yeah. yeah. Matt, are you picking up all these Midsummer references? I'm choosing to ignore them. <laughs> It's a hot take, Matt. It's a hot take. Way to stand up for people who don't like Shakespeare. You know what? We're an underrepresented minority. I know a lot of 14-year-olds that would agree with you. Yeah, and we're all right. I'm going to go on TikTok and be the king of 14-year-olds with my hot <laughs> Shakespeare, Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Uh Okay, so next we have another musical uh, segment called An Interlude.
one of the more forgettable instrumental segments. Your boy Robin Hitchcock is on this one. You know, Steve, you say more, you say forgettable, but I love this. And Kalen actually wanted to walk down the aisle at our wedding to this music. Oh, that's nice. You already, it's very pretty. And was Rake's yeah. song going to play then immediately afterwards <laughs> under the vows? <laughs> but this is this is a beautiful little musical interlude. Yeah, so it's, I mean, narratively, what do you think is happening right now? Um, They've fallen together. Yeah, he walks off with, like, you, you have, like, this is like a, the stage crew is coming and resetting the scene. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe they kiss and, like, walk off and lay down together is what I'm thinking happens here. I don't think, my, my interpretation, I don't, I don't know, but I don't think they meet again until, like, I think he goes off in search of Margaret, but I don't think he finds her yet. So this is just him, like, on stage, like, looking around and way overacting, suggesting the different parts mm-hmm. of the forest yeah. he's going through. Yep, yep. And, like, just sort of, like, maybe maybe contemplating what he's going to do next. And maybe you That's have her on I the stage, too, and they're both, like, looking in opposite directions and just and mixing each other. She's like, uh, so this, this would be like, I guess the next night, right? So anyway. it, is, it is tricky as far as like when he's like, what is William doing when Margaret gets abducted? He, right. I don't think he's there. I think, I think, yeah, I think it's the morning after the, the queen watches them bone down. I don't know about you guys. This then, is a really pretty song. Yeah. It's a good song. And uh, I mean, we've got we've got a lot of material. Maybe we should be the ones writing the Hazards of Love musical. Guys. We maybe should. We have. It le- seems like we got a lot of. And we're just going to cut out. Isn't it a lovely night? Yeah, that's gone. <laughs> Moving on, the next track is a little ditty called "The Rake Song." So the production on this song is kind of, it's out there. What do you mean the production like, is out there? So like like the, the way that, you know, you've got this kind of uh, acoustic guitar, but then there's this kind of like fuzzy undertone, a lot of drums and these like weird yelly backing vocals. Like it's just, it's a, it sounds different from the rest of the album. Well, so on this song, Kamala is playing acoustic guitar, Nate Cray is playing bass and everyone else is playing drums. Oh, maybe this is where Jim James is. Oh, maybe, maybe he's, he's doing the all rights. In. Yeah, I think maybe he's the voice of all the children in the later. According, <laughs> according to the according to the credits, the yelling is done by John Moe and Chris Funk and Sharonova. All right. Oh well, wait, so has has Jim James appeared Captain in the credits Research. yet? Uh, Spoils it again. I don't know. I, mean, I wasn't paying attention. So okay, let's talk about the rake song. I I really like this song. I like it now. Um, so what? We're, we're introduced to a character called the rake who is just generic bad guy who is a character type let's say like right yeah now. yeah i mean he's even, he's he essentially mustache show, twirling right. he essentially showed up and um he's the bad guy of the mirror's revenge song as well right yeah so this is just a bad guy giving like he colin described this when i saw him that like this is the villain coming in and turning to the crowd and introducing himself to the crowd like this is what makes me such a bastard. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and it, it's it's pretty effective. Yeah. So this is the story of how he got married and loved his wife, and they start having kids, and he hated having kids, and then his wife died, and he murdered all his kids. Right. So pretty bad. 
I suppose hey, bad. I Generally considered bad. I think the word rake is sort of like one of these like old timey sort of insults that, you know, you use to be sort of like dismissive or something like rake a rake or a cad like it's not like it doesn't really hurt when you say it like because it's just it doesn't mean it's more like anymore. oh you rap scallion right right but like this guy is like worse than that i mean like you wouldn't call him a rake you would call him like a, a murderous psychopath, psychopath. Murderer. but the picture yeah. of him is just like of a dude yeah sitting in a chair yeah. he's just a guy he doesn't yeah. look when you say when you say the picture of him what do you mean like in the the liner notes illustrated by carson ellis uh, yeah. In my memories of this song, he murders more than three children. I was surprised to re-listen to it and be like, "Oh, only three, which is like weird the way that Charlotte yeah. Mafanwi and uh, no Mafanwi died on delivery. Oh, Mafanwi died. We have Isaac, um, Charlotte, and um, Dawn. Dawn. So let's talk about how how does he kill all of his children? So Charlotte, he poisoned. Dawn. Dawn, he drowned in the bath. And Isaiah and then I, hand combat, apparently? They fought each other. Yeah, that's like going to be wow. some... Now, here's the thing. Is Isaiah a child here? Is this like a kid fighting back? Or is this like an probably. epic... Well, afterwards, yeah, he burns his body. I mean, because he, tw- he was only 21 when he got married. And he sort of describes this as like, kids. this is how I got liberated from my terrible children. Right. We have some winking foreshadowing here, right? You expect that yeah. I should be haunted, right? But it never bothers yeah. me. But it doesn't bother him, or does it? Or will he be haunted? Wink, so like, wink. This song is twisted, right? Um, it's, but it's pretty twisted. There's an element of black humor here, right? For sure. I think this is probably the most I- ironic, winking kind of song on the on the album. To me, the humor works. Yeah, like, I think Ed, that it is kind of... In an Edward Gorey, Ghastly Crumb Tiny's kind of way. Yeah, but like, you know... We now know more about the rake than we do about Margaret. Or William. Yeah, we know a lot about the <laughs> We background. got a little bit of background on William. Sure. I think I think if you're going to recast all of the male parts or, you know, ha- have different voices for the male parts, I think Colin can keep playing this part. Like, I feel like this is this is the character that Colin should play. See, I think you need like a... Recast uh, William. I think that this one... You could bring in someone like Tom Waits or something. No, like, yeah, like a, what? a, a gr- gravelly like voice. Tom Waits? <laughs> Are you insane? Yeah, I don't know. Or uh, you might as well just get a bear at that point. Well, okay. So here's the thing: if you got Jim James in, let Jim James be William. Yeah, get Jim James as William. I'm trying to think of Colin can be the rake. Who do you not cast in this? Like, you don't want, like, Sam Beam of Iron and Wine doing the rake, right? Like, it's just not going to work. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's that's even darker. Like, you get Sam Beam in like, there. Quietly like, quietly whispering gentle... about murdering his <laughs> yeah. children. Um, I would actually it's say Jim James would not terrifying. work as the rake. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Colin saves the rake because he's got the sort of, you know, I think he plays, like, casual cruelty very well. Like, in a way that, like, you can tell that he is, like, acting well Colin Malloy has a theatrical side that most indie rock vocalists don't have right yeah when you see them play this live the band like lines up in front with drums for this song yeah it gets a little ridiculous yeah they go crazy and they're all yelling all right and as far as the lack of nuance he's not a nuanced villain right I mean he's a nothing in this is postually yeah that's what I'm saying like (laughs) As far as this working as a piece of theater, right? There's not a lot of narrative complexity here. Right. Well, I mean, 
if you if you want narrative complexity, maybe stay away from the realm of musical theater. Uh, Ouch! I feel like burn. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. He's probably right though. Guy. The rake is coming in to mess with Margaret, right? Yeah. So he just shows up. Like this is yeah. This is him introducing herself, and then the next track is when he sort of joins the story. So, next track, the abduction of Margaret. she loses the agency that Matt praised her for at the beginning of the album. All we get is that she yeah. fell prey to her abductor. Like, the most like, damsel in distress week. Like, what does that even mean? Like, what? And he literally, like, scoops her up and throws her over his shoulder. Yep, puts her on her horse. And yeah, so, so basically, she's probably walking through the forest to meet William. It's dusk, probably dark outside she doesn't really see what's going on and then and then all of a sudden this horse gallops up and the rake just just picks her up and we've got some reused guitar parts here right well this is the same as right. this is the bower scene repeated yeah, yeah so this is the first time we have a repeated Musical, melody yeah. right that's the melody i mean the instrumentation as well but like there's not much to talk about here because it really is a repeat of the bower song or bower scene yeah, I mean, so narratively, it's just, it's just, this is the part where the rake kidnaps Margaret, and then they run away, or he, he runs away, and then the song ends, he's standing in front of a river. Presumably, he's trying to take her, you know, further away from wherever she came from. He's got to cross the river. Like, he's trying to get, so, like, does he know that, like, William would be after him? Like, has he been watching? I don't watching? think so. He's just like He's a, just he's cruising just, in the woods, finds a hot yeah. chick, and is like, I want that. But is why, that yeah. So why does he abduct her and take her to a second location? Like, if they're already in the woods. He's got like, some kind of weird place that he's taking her. Yeah. Like, he's got. Yeah, I, he's done this before. But, yeah. This, like, this is because his he's first like, time. oh, man, how am I going to get across this river? How do you get over the river in the first place? Like, where is he going <laughs> Okay, maybe he hasn't done this specific river before, but he's done something like this before. See, the, the geography okay. does not hold up narratively. Like. He was probably he's probably done this at other locations that didn't have a river. Like last time, he did. Like, why there wasn't he a river turn in the way and go back the way he came? Maybe he crossed he's, way far away. Yeah, and he's he knows a shortcut. You guys are right. Yeah. You guys are believers. Maybe, you guys are true believers. It's just, I really. Am. It's a. He's he's just it's a it's like convenient. Like he's because there aren't they like trying to get to like isn't there. A structure on the other Great side of the question. river that he's trying where to get to. Where are they trying to get to? I think they... I His think weird they, sex a... dungeon is where he's <laughs> yeah. trying to... Like Somehow in my, or a place that looks like it might my... be a good weird sex dungeon, because he hasn't been there before, because he's never crossed in the river In my mind, before. it always ends in a cave. Why? I don't know why. In my mind, it's always a cave. See, I think it's... For some reason, I think it ends in a castle. Like, I don't know why I think this, but I think he's trying to cross the river to get to an abandoned castle. I'm thinking a creepy in that castle, shack. A, shack. He's like there's listening to a creepy dungeon. shack in the woods. He's not trying to get to back to where he lives, because clearly if it... I mean, well, What's presumably, if he's trying to get back to where he lived, he would know how to get there. Yeah. This is not all together, you guys. All right. But anyway, he's trying to cross the river. Like, whether, whether or not it's a plan or he's just improvising... He gets to the river, and maybe, you know, we don't know how long he waits at the river to, to cross it. Maybe he just, like, he's going that direction. He sees a river, because immediately when he gets there, 
he meets the queen. Right. So next up, the queen's rebuke slash the crossing. So, so the rake is standing at the at the edge of a river with Margaret on his horse. Well, I don't know if he's standing on his horse. He's at the river. Margaret's there. There's a horse involved, and the queen shows up. The queen is describing like the queen is the taiga. Yeah, she's an int apparently. Yeah, she's, which so is, she is definitely like. Which is weird because apparently she can fly as well. So I'm a little confused <laughs> by the nature of her powers. I think that she just is the like spiritual embodiment of the taiga. Is the impression I get because she's like I'm a tree. Yeah, I photosynthesize. <laughs> the brightest shine. It's my shine. <laughs> I think she just she can do whatever she she can has any shape shifting power she wants. She can shape shift into trees, into falcons. And then she's talking again about William. Yeah. So so that's she's random. She's no, she's she recognizes Margaret. And so in the context of talking about how Margaret is this hussy that's stealing her son uh from the forest she sort of goes into a little bit more explanation of who william is so by the way doesn't she say she says that he was entombed in a cradle of clay does that mean that he was buried right that's what i'm saying i think that's why i brought up i think he might have been dead whenever she found him like she someone buried their dead child and she dug it up and and turned it into a, a, a magical. Deer pool, a deer she, said, she said that he was in a in a in the reed in his cradle. I mean, it's possible. I don't know, oh, like a Moses type situation. Yeah, that's like, my assumption. So, like they just make cradles out of clay. But then, yeah, or why would he be clay, in a like, cradle? Some kind of like washing a shore a, somewhere or something. Like, I mean, there's cradles of filth. Yeah. What would the but like anyway, an actual cradle? Of anyway, filth? the queen gets real crazy here, where she's like, "Man, are you gonna rape her? That's awesome! I am so glad." <laughs> yeah, that like about basically, to do that. let me. Yeah, help she's you like, do that. Yeah, she's like, I will help you get across the river because you're uh, you're you're having your way with this this woman who's uh, stolen my son's love from me. But so, so she's really excited that her son's girlfriend who she doesn't like is getting like, like raped and abused. Murdered. Yeah. Yeah. And her grandchild. <laughs> yeah. Although I, don't know if she, Again, I don't know if she yeah, knows this that is the part where you pregnant. like forget that the main, this character is pregnant. I feel like, um, so the queen is evil. What's her motivation? She's now here? officially an evil queen. This is, re- this yeah. is, this is just revenge, right? Because William has already said, yeah, I'm done with her. Like, well, it's, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, because William's William's already agreed to her terms. Well, no, because so, yeah, now she's, she's saying, just spiteful. You're, you're removing the temptation. Like she knows that like William is not done with Margaret. Oh, so you think you think she thinks William was gonna was well gonna renege? This is the temptation. Like she will be a constant yeah. temptation. But here's the thing. So then, is the Rake's plan going to ends in murder as well? Probably. I think she. Otherwise, he's gonna. She assumes that he's gonna like, have. Otherwise, is he just like, oh, she'll be a ruined woman, and William won't want her anymore? Like, no, I, I think he, I think she assumes he's gonna murder her. Yeah, this is this is a weird sex dungeon thing. Like, yeah, the queen knows the queen knows what's on the other side of the river. <laughs> <laughs> She's been there. Yeah, the she rake probably, probably doesn't know. Yeah, the the I queen mean, probably yeah. is the place they're going. <laughs> <laughs> That's her house. It's a part of her. Yeah. So yeah, I think she knows. She knows he's he's going to kill uh, Margaret. 
and she's going to help it happen because she's spiteful. So then there's this like metal proggy breakdown instrumentally, which is the crossing. And this is where they're all kind of playing on the same melody. I don't this feels very like um this feels very teen like to me in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is this reused themes? I'm trying to remember. No. I don't think so. There's some really cool organ in this. Yeah. Like some like almost like kind of like funky, jazzy, soulful kind of organ playing. Yeah. Yeah. So so how do you think uh how do you think he gets across do you think she like gives the horse wings or she like gets rid of the river because she is nature specifically says he's gonna fly across Mm, that's true i'll fly you to the far so she probably turns into like an eagle oh yeah god this song's so metal (laughs) it's very metal it's it's yeah but that that closing instrumental is i think it's cool like i like that the crossing the crossing is neat i like it yeah but then Uh, after that metal fest we have another standout track i would say Anne and water i'd say this is the most explicitly folky song on the album yeah well so so what what's going on narratively here so at this point william has caught up to the rake and uh, or he's, he's made it to the river, and he hears Margaret on the other side of the river in the Queen's Sex Dungeon, and he's like, <laughs> "Oh shit, I need to get over there." And apparently, no one, no, there's no boats, there's no bridges. Yeah, as a matter of fact, asks the river to build a boat for him. Like, yeah. dude, <laughs> this is him asking the river to let him cross. Yeah, yeah. So the the river is apparently just a real shit show. Like, it's just a really deadly river, dangerous. And uh, so the only way he can think to get across is to offer himself up to the river. He's like, River, if you let me cross now, you can kill me later. Yeah, William is very free to bargain with his entire life and future. Like, <laughs> Yeah, which, I mean, so this makes me think that he, he wasn't going to renege on his offer to the queen. Because he's like, well, I've already given up my love, so my life is forfeit anyway. Is it anyway. weird that a, that a guy who turns into a, into a fawn rides a horse? <laughs> or that a guy who can turn into a fawn needs help crossing a river. Like, this must be, like, a badass river, right? Yeah. Would you guys agree that this is one of the better tracks on the album? For sure, yeah. I like it because it's it's the folkiest. It's got your accordion, your acoustic guitar. Um, There's some hurdy-gurdy in here, lyri- some mandolin. Lyrically, it's not particularly interesting, but musically, I like it. Yeah, I really like that part where the instruments drop out and you get that nice melody, or the, the harmony. Right, yeah. I like that this the, river, If you calm course, and let me pass. Yeah. I like that this is like a hungry, murderous river who's like, oh, yeah, I get to eat me some people. Well, right. All that a river wants is for fish to swim in it and people to drown in it. That is a river's entire existence. Like, I don't know. The the lyrics on this are, are I think, really solid. The music, I think, is, is really pretty. Um, I love all the folk instruments. This is a winner for me, big time. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is a standout. Even, what about you, Steve? You're the naysayer. No, I don't, here's the thing. Like, originally, like this was like my favorite song on this album. Listening to it recently, I was like, yeah, I get, like, it's, it's the folky song. That's why I liked it. I don't think there's a lot 
Ly- lyrically, there's not much interesting happening here. This is one of my top three tracks on the album. Sure. I think musically it's cool too because it has the, it just has a lot of like foreboding in it. Like it's just a very like sort of well, and there's a lot you know, of instruments there's a lot in of this. Angst a lot of folk instruments. To it. There's accordion. There's yeah. guitar. There's like um, I think so there's, there's like a dulcimer. dulcimer. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff going on here. Well, and I think that this captures the desperation of the character. Yeah. Or just the dumbness of him. Like again, maybe he's just so dumb. He's like, like he he's doesn't Romeo. Think anything. He's Romeo. Yeah, he, he literally doesn't think of any anything like past the next ten seconds of his life. All right, so we're getting to the climax. Uh, after Anne and Water, we have Margaret in captivity. The rake at least does not reuse uh, a melody here. He's got his own. This is like some, some definite like bad guy twisted melody stuff going on here. Yeah, man, he's a bad dude. So, do you think that he has he done anything to her yet? He snipped. So. He snipped her wingspan. That's. I think that that's that's a, a metaphor. Yeah, I don't think she's actually a swan. Unless, <laughs> yeah. Though if this whole thing is about a fawn boning a swan, then this is. Like a, do you guys like to imagine? I like to imagine that William, in human form, has little horns, antlers. You That's mean? cute. That's nice. You know what? Steve, I mean, he's a fawn. Need, we're not a biologist here, so like, who gives a shit? Um. Yeah. So this song is about the rake taunting Margaret with what he's going to do to her, and and her calling out to William in the same way that William calls out to her in "Won't Want for Love." Yeah. He does refer to where he is as having fortress walls. So that's maybe a nod to your little yeah, castle. Yeah, so sex dungeon. Sex dungeon. <laughs> sex dungeon. That's where we are. She is chained up right now. Yeah, there's not really too much to this song. No, it's just it, it's just like raising the stakes a little bit more even. Like the audience is like cringing because he's getting closer and closer to her while she's chained up. Sure, they're watching this right. through their fingers. For sure. I'm trying to think of what else happens in this song. There's not much to it. I'm excited about the next song. So. What's the next song, Steve? The Third Hazards of Love. Revenge! Exclamation point, it says in parentheses. This is a wild fucking song. This is, this, listening to it now, like, you know, gosh, I'm probably listening to this album in like, eight years this is the song where i was like this is bananas and i am here for it <laughs> yeah, like, like, yeah i loved yeah. it in a way that i don't remember loving it when i was in my 20s it's because you probably love how ridiculous it is yeah like this actually all the other stuff feels like very like stock plot line stock characters this is the part where it's like where the hell does this come from <laughs> yeah. yeah well i mean there's just the tiniest bit of foreshadowing there is yeah, I feel bad that Mafanway, since she actually died of natural causes, doesn't get to spit in his face. So, so, so Matt, what is narratively happening here? Uh, as as the rake is about to do something dastardly, the ghosts of his three murdered children show up, and uh, they they, I mean, they're basically haunting him, uh-huh. and they're kind of like talking about how they were murdered, and. My assumption is that they kill him, that they like sort of force him into yeah. the water. Or he like him. runs off and they chase. Like, I mean, 
in the play, I'm guessing he just like runs off. You think he gets away with it at the end? He's just, I don't know. There's driven. I think though, like I agree that the, the, the music, especially at the end is so violent. My, my visuals Mm -hmm. are always them killing him somehow. Yeah. Like they're like making some, like rocks fall on him or something or I don't know yeah, because just there's a, like this there's this like really piercing horrible. disjointed fractured music going on um, in a way that's like super creepy well and so these will yeah. these children are all describing how they were murdered mm-hmm. and uh, it's like and now they're like ready to fuck him up um, and the there's three children credited here for doing these three vocals. Yeah, it's another thing that's interesting, right? Are these, um, like this, like children's choir thing going on. There's some cool strings going on in this too. It's really creepy and weird and like distorted sort of like out of tune string, uh, string instruments and some harpsichord. Now I'm trying to remember live. Yeah. Did they just pipe these vocals in? Yeah. I think they just played these over the loudspeaker. Yeah, I think so too. So you guys, I, I have a psychological theory here and that this, <laughs> all right. Bear with me. Margaret is the first woman the rake has been with since his wife. Right? Okay. So, like, so like he has not known he has a, a woman's touch since the tragic death of his wife. And it was really the, the death of his wife and childbirth that drove him crazy. And now he, he's finally found another woman that he has feelings for. And all he can think of is, is his children. That's... That's your take? He's a tragic figure. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's good. I feel like the rake needs more apologists. That's maybe <laughs> taking up that cause. I'm going to go ahead and yeah. stick with the fact that he's, he's just trying just to get back a on really the horse. Really bad person. There's decent right? people on both decent people on both sides, yes. He's just trying to get himself back out there. It's tough being a widower. Yeah. And all he can yeah. think of is, you know, his obnoxious children. <laughs> Interestingly, like this is a repeat of the initial Hazards of Love melody, but it, you know, it's so distorted and, and changed that this one I don't mind at all. Yeah, because they do something new and interesting with it. You know, we're, we're sort of like, well, I say we, but you guys are kind of bagging on them for repeating repeating melodies. But, I mean, you know, there's 17 tracks on this. The normal December's album has, like, what, 10 songs? Yeah, maybe so. 12 tops. Yeah, so I mean, that was they're already like giving us as many melodies as they would normally give us on a on a regular album. Hence my diagnosis of overambition. But not all the tracks are fully fleshed out songs. Fair enough. Anyway, satis- satisfying dramatic end. Oh, I love the revenge. Hazards three is great. Yeah, I think the the kids definitely kill them because yeah, it's called the revenge. So obviously the kids are gonna kill the they kill their dad, they murder him. I mean. You mean this poor man who was driven insane by the tragic death of his wife when he was left a widower with three children. Mm-hmm. Here's yep. what's, and then they here's what's messed up, right? So they kill him and William triumphantly comes in in the next song. What does he, he just, like, what does he do? <laughs> he doesn't save anyone. Like, yeah. What is, Why, well, here's what, the question. Why do they even leave the sex dungeon? <laughs> like, what's the... Like he knows if he goes, don't to go the back river, to the river. It's, it's gonna kill him. Just don't, don't go back. I assume. Why? Why does he do that? I assumed because he's what he says is here comes the waves. I assume the place is flooding when he comes. Oh, in. like the river follows him. Yeah. That okay. So maybe maybe the kids like the way that they kill their dad like breaks the breaks the sex castle and it's it's mm. collapsing into the it's collapsing into the water and so he, they have to get out. So like while the children are murdering their dad he gets margaret out he gets margaret out 
but it, the whole sex dungeon castle. I imagine him just coming in like, bum, 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 hero. And then like the rake yeah. is already dead. And Margaret's like, oh, good. And he's like, oh, no, no, not good. Because we're both about to get killed. Oops. Maybe he yeah. enlisted the help of the ghosts like Aragorn with uh, <laughs> okay, all, all the all those ghosts, you know. Well, did we did we say that we're talking about the one thing comes in waves reprise? Is that you just did? Has that well, you've now said it, so you can put the music cue in now. There we go. <laughs> and this is where this is where the Montecans and waves gets literal because the waves literally yeah. do come. Right. Because the waves want to kill him. And this is, you know, we've got like a, a a grand musical. Your grand musical crescendo is here, right? Yeah. And this is this is basically a straight up re yes uh, reprise of the of the previous version. Mm-hmm. Though it ends with things I mean, kind of falling apart musically, yeah. like it, it's got this kind of real downbeat ending. Yeah. But there's like there's a lot going on musically in this. Like there's a lot. It's a, it's a very layered instrumental under this mm-hmm. yeah there's very, there's like some proggy organ going on there's a lot there's a lot there's like some piano riffs there's it's a it is a bonanza well, this is kind of musically i think the big crescendo because it it ends on a, on a much gentler note musically right so steve what's the last song so the last song is the fourth hazards of love parentheses the drowned Which I think is, it struck me today as kind of how weird this is as an album closer because this like prog rock folk album ends with like a country song kind of musically. Yeah. I, I don't know about you guys, but this is the strongest track on the album. This song was the first, definitely the first pop song to ever make me cry. Yeah. Like it is the beautiful. first time I heard it, it just, it gutted me. Yeah, I mean, Steve, are you with us on this yeah, one? No, I mean, like I said, I think it works on its own. Like it's it's such musically, it's so distinct from everything else that came before it. It's a little strange, but I think dramatically, it works very well. Well, and I think that this is also a track that works on its own. I know that like you won't understand the narrative necessarily, but like it's a strong enough, complete song that I think that they could just bust this one out. Mm, yeah like i this could be like a song that colin plays by himself at the beginning of an encore and then and then chris would sneak on stage to to play that pedal that pedal steel that beautiful pedal steel bit that pedal steel that's what gets me um well let's go ahead and finish the story so what what happens in hazards of love for the drowned are they on a boat so clearly they well, it's unclear. It's, it says, it says Margaret arrayed on arrayed the rocks around the hull before it was sinking. So so they must have gotten onto a boat. Somehow he found a boat. Maybe the river gave him a boat. The, maybe the river, yeah. The river's like, I would love to eat you if you're on a boat. So go ahead and get on a boat. <laughs> could, could you, would you on a boat? <laughs> I just think William, wow. like, if he would just never go ne- anywhere near the river again, he's he's fine like he didn't say i will let you kill me like later today he's like the next time i try to cross the river you can kill me how about this so guy just never tried to cross again is it po- is it 
possible that Margaret is already dead at this point? No, she, I mean, she sings to him. Is she, is she in here? I mean, she, she has back vocals with that last I pulled you, I caught you here, like she's singing with him. And also, oh, by the let, way, that, let's Jim James is doing backing vocals here. So let's be married here today is when she comes in with backing vocals. The idea of that is something that they're both saying. I think Jim James is doing the didn't eyes. Tell us, can we talk about that mm. chorus real quick? I pulled yeah. you and I caught you here. I caught you and I brought you here. What What is the here they're referring to? Like at this point in our the life? The taiga? I think just like th- this point in their lives. Yeah. Like they're responsible for yeah. each other's deaths. This, I mean, if you think about it, like this is maybe three days after they, well, it's a little, probably a little bit more than three days after they first met. But this is, I mean, um, they did not know each other for very long. She's visibly pregnant. This has to be like... For her to even know she's pregnant, this needs to be like a month after they met. A lot of time passes between Hazards of Love 1 and the Bower scene. Okay, but they haven't spent a ton of time no, together. I would agree. I guess that's, that's the more important thing. William and Margaret have maybe spent a couple days together. So do you guys feel like the meaning of the Hazards of Love is different in each of these four songs? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's an intentional sure. shifting. Right. The hazard in this one is that <laughs> they're dead you killed by a river <laughs> just like the hazard of love in the previous song is hey sometimes if you get married to someone and they have babies the babies are going to come back and kill you after you kill them that's a that's yeah. a hazard <laughs> that's yeah, that's love. a hazard so just, of love yeah these are all like sort of really good takeaways that are practical but like this song is so beautiful it's describing their last moments where they decide to get married as they die Right, or at least vow their, you know, love for each other as they're drowning. Colin Malloy can't get away from these sorts of like joint death love stories. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's a it's a it is a staple of the sort of like melodramatic, you know, the the kind of doomed lovers is a is a trope that has been popular for a very long time. But, like, if you were to see the Decembrists now and they played one song off this album, this is the one you'd want to hear, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I would just love to hear them play this whole album again. I mean, that I love this album, and I think it's best consumed in its entirety. Oh, yeah. It is not one that you just want to hear random bits from. I will say this about this song. Not, I know you guys have been gushing over this song. Uh it's indicative of, I think, Colin Malloy not fully committing to the rock opera idea that Margaret virtually has no lines in this song. I think the song could have been even more poignant as an actual duet where she is an equal vocal part in the song and has verses for herself as well. That's why I kind of like this song as a song William is singing to Margaret and she's already dead. Yeah, that makes more sense. But yeah, you. I mean, you have a good point, Steve, like... Basically, like Becky and Shara are gone from the back half of this. Oh album. yeah, I mean, like Margaret since they disappear after. Isn't it a lovely night? Margaret has like no lines, right? So yeah, she doesn't really do anything on her. Own. And there's no reference to uh, to the to the lost child here either. So not only can we forget she's pregnant, I think almost this album forgets that she's pregnant. About half. Oh wow! Well, I totally well. forgot that they have a child. Yeah, exactly. Yep. That's what I'm saying, right? So they should talk about the fact that their child is. Dying. I think they definitely should. Yeah, that's fair. Well, I'm just saying, one thing I would have li- I would li- would be nice would be definitely I think more Margaret on this album, especially in the back half of the album where she just becomes damsel in distress. 
whose only line sung solo is "Oh my own true love, come and find me." Yeah. So your your biggest complaint with the album is there's not enough. It should be bigger. Um, no. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that. Like, so one of my compl- I guess I guess I would have liked for it to if it, they're gonna do a rock opera to commit more to to the drama to the to the narrative. Well. Then that means you want it to be less of a rock opera and you want it to be more of a musical. Because rock operas are usually, I would say, even less narrative than this. That's fair. I don't know. They can still tell a story. Yeah. No, that's fair. A, a sung through musical would be like, I think that I think that would be what it should be as opposed to like a rock opera, just something sung through. Like a, yeah. I mean, no, I don't know. I don't dislike this album. I do. I agree. I think one of its weaknesses is that it only really works if you listen to it all the way through start to finish. Um, Which certainly it works well when it's done that way. But I do think it, the fact that very few things can be appreciated individually is, uh, I don't know if it's a problem, but it's certainly not a strength. Okay. So let's talk about other, like I would say the most notable example of a rock opera is Tommy, right? Sure. It's a famous one. Well, I would say Jesus Christ Superstar in my book is the... But I think Jesus Christ Superstar is more of a musical than this or Tommy are. I mean, only because Why it's been staged, that? I suppose. I mean, I'm sure that there's been staged productions of Tommy. Like I said, I would compare, I I would compare it to Hadestown. At least I certainly did even more so before Hadestown actually became a musical, when Hadestown right. was just a, a rock opera. Um, so here's a question. This is probably their most ambitious album to date. The question is, does it succeed? Here's here's my thing, I think, as far as what my disappointment was. It is their most ambitious album. Unfortunately, at the time it was released, I think it was it think it was also their worst album for me. And so it was the first time the Decembers put out an album that I thought was not as good as the ones that preceded it. Even though I like pieces of it and I think it works well on the whole, I think if you look back at it compared to the previous four, it's a step down in overall impact and to me comparing this back to back to crane wife i think this is a better album than crane wife yeah because crane wife has summer song perfect crime 2 and when the war came which the highs on the crane wife a are both higher and b work better alone that's true but i think if i'm going to listen to an album front to back without skipping anything this is better than crane wife how often do you do that well i don't yeah, I don't do that with anything, but I'm just saying, as an album, I think that I would prefer this to Crane Wife. This is honestly the only December's album I would listen to front to back. Like, even even though I don't like Isn't It a Lovely Night, I would still like I would still put up with it because I appreciate this album as a whole. And not that not that like I don't like Crane Wife or like, you know, Pick Rest or anything like that. It's just that it's easier to skip the songs I don't like on that. Because I think they're worse than the worst song on this. I mean, Steve, would you say it's a problem that individual tracks don't stand on their own when they weren't intended to? Again, I'm not necessarily saying it's a problem. It's also not a strength. Like, I don't, I'm not being very articulate. I'm very tired. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, I just, for me, it was not as good as the albums I preceded. It was the first time I ever put on an album where I was like, Mm, not quite. And you're saying after this album, you stopped like ravenously following the band. Well, it's a trend that continued after this album. I think, I think this is the beginning 
of the downward slide of the Decemberists. Was it? Do you think it's because of this album that you that you stopped following them? As no, because I was still into the King Is Dead and was excited when it came out. Uh, it really wasn't until what it be forward with October World that I kind of lost interest. But this was the first time that maybe they stopped being like my favorite band. Steve definitely had uh, mixed things to say about this album. But uh, it's time to fi- find out what uh, our favorite pretentious uh, music blog had to say about this album in, in our favorite segment. Does Pitchfork still like the Decemberists? Well, here's the thing. I feel like this was generally a pretty well-received album, critically. Yes. But I, this one did not get Best New Music. No, it did not. Not only did it not get Best New Music. Wait, do you know the, the score? I remember this. Is it... Did they get like a six or something? You're gonna have to give me. You're gonna have to give me a, a hard number. Six zero. Six zero is your guess. Yeah. You got a five point seven. For a pitchfork score, that means it's bad. Yes. Yeah. They did not like this album. I'm looking right now at um, Metacritic, um, and Hazards of Love, as far as albums go. You talk about this. This is a genuinely well received album. It was. It's got a seventy three on Hazard of on Metacritic, but that is the second lowest of all December scores. Well, there's also some pretty notable, like, bad, I mean, tepid to bad reviews. Like, Pitchfork, 5.7. I think Enemy gave it a pretty bad review. And I think Spin also gave it, like, a 5 out of 10. So, I mean, it, it did just, it wasn't, like, it wasn't well-received. Uh, the weird thing about the Pitchfork review, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you yeah, a whole hit, quote. Hit me with those tidbits. Well, so here's, uh, here's what the reviewer says. Uh, who, who did this review? I don't think I remember. Is it Duesner again? No, it's not Duesner. It's somebody else. Maybe that's else. why I got a better view. Um, yeah, Duesner. Th- this is the only December song he's he's uh, he's ever reviewed on Pitchfork. But basically, the the pull quote is: um, "Enough happens musically on the Hazards of Love that I can still see it being fun for fans in a live setting, especially if you know the lyrics. On on disc, though, it's largely missing the catchy choruses and very similar emotions that previously served as ballast for the Decemberists' gaudy eccentricity." Eccentricities. Oh my god. Eccentricities. Nope, you didn't get it either. So Eccentricities. You can go ahead and go fuck yourself. Eccentricities, y'all. <laughs> Steve's just putting on a clinic over there. <laughs> saying words like like he knows how to do it. Steve is the one of us who has the most acting experience. But yeah, so the 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 review isn't even like that bad, although I think I think this was just the time. Like this was the this was the time when like everyone decided that it wasn't cool to like the Decembers anymore. Is th- is this like a, is this an Icarus type situation where the Decembers no. flew too close no. to the sun? Here, with I'll, this say this, album? No. I'll say this about it. Even as an album that I do generally like, this album I know I t- I'm like lukewarm on it for a December album, but I still am generally positive about this album. But for a band that like takes like on the monkey of like we're like dorks and not cool this album is not cool right like it's a it's, dorky it's album, a dorky for album. Sure. it's over earnest it is it's like some like you know rin fair stuff even more so Dude, it, than it's dorky in the way that power metal is dorky sure it's it's yeah it's very earnest like there's no tongue in cheek well, at it's, all it's, it's primary influences are like british folk music it's like british folk music is like it's like the whitest music, right? Like it, it is so, it's a, such an uncool genre of music. Wait, are you saying that 
this that happens white to be people a, aren't cool is that what you're saying is that like a is that a novel thing to assert in terms of music isn't that how it's isn't that one of never mind but yeah so i think i mean this is this is the album that the, the decembers have been sort of had been sort of threatening to make you know since the tain basically like I think everyone kind of expected them to make an album like this for a very long for time. For sure. It just, seemed, it just seemed like a natural thing to happen. No one was surprised when they announced that this is what they were doing. And I I, I think this is... I love this album. It's probably my favorite December's album. Um, is it the best rock opera that the December's could make? Like, if they, if they were set out to do this kind of thing again, I think they could do something... I think it would definitely be more interesting seeing it see them do it again at this stage in their career when they have like less to prove and can probably be a little bit more i don't know have 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 more interesting ideas or less like what's well, the thing For, I, to me i'll be your girl kind of sounds like musical theater sometimes bad musical theater that, that was meant to be a that was meant to be a compliment yeah that, that seems like a i mean it seems like you're taking a slam on on the uh i will say that like so I, as much as I like them playing with like folk tropes and like wearing their clothes on their sleeve, it's certainly not the most original like story you can tell. I mean, it does feel like a no, Romeo yeah. Juliet type cliched doomed lovers yes. kind of thing. Yeah. The story is not notable. No. But, you know, it's pop music, you know, like I don't think I don't think like innovation is necessarily something that's rewarded in pop music. But to me, it totally succeeds in what they were trying to do with it. Which, it, and I think they probably knew making it that this album would not be everybody's cup of tea. Yeah, it's almost like they just wanted to prove with their second capital album that they weren't selling out. This is their decidedly then, not selling out album. After this, they're like, let's try and make an album that is everybody's cup of tea. Well, and we'll talk about that uh, next week. Uh, so next week, we'll be talking about The King is Dead, unless something else comes up in between those albums but i'm pretty sure that's it yeah i think it is just king is dead anyway yeah well steve thank you so much uh for being on this which i think it's it's definitely our longest to date and maybe probably our longest of all time i'm gonna go ahead and this call was it. a lot we of talk thank you for helping us long. pronounce words and yeah. uh and for knowing things about british folk music sure and dylan thomas and stuff I, uh, I just got I, I showed up so that I could listen to Matt abuse Shakespeare. That's really what I'm here for. Well, that does it. So I guess I'll come up with a send off. Sure. This has been we both podcast together, and until next time, uh, the wanting will come in waves. Mm. That was terrible. Right, how about this? Oh, uh, we forgot to plug our Twitter. So, um, Matt, no one cares. Y- you can follow us. You can follow <laughs> us on Twitter if you want. We're on we're on Twitter. I tweet sometimes at podcast both. Yep. And until next time, uh, if you see a fawn in the woods and it's hurt, uh, don't try to fuck it. <laughs> uh, till next time, uh, you can hear us, love, on this show. On- no, that was. That was awful. All right. That's good. Yeah. Bye.